Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, and welcome to Sleep Success, the health and wellness podcast that's going to help you rest easier so that you can live better. On this episode, I'm having a conversation with arguably the most influential health professional in America and around the world, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Many of you might not know this, but Dr. Oz and I have been friends for literally 20 years. I was on his test shows way back in the day. His Emmy award-winning syndicated TV show has seen in over a hundred countries globally where he's actually brought his health and wellness message to the masses. And I'm thrilled to get his thoughts on how we can all sleep better. But first, let's go to the wake-up call. So welcome to the wake-up call. This is the part of the show where I talk about kind of new stuff that's in the news and in research and give you my take on it. So we all know that the impact of COVID on everything in our lives is enormous. And to be fair, it's definitely impacting our sleep. But interestingly enough, it's also impacting the futon business. Yep, that's right. Gold Bond Mattress Company that makes futons has seen a 25% growth since April. The combination of kids not going to college and maybe young adults having to stay at home has been a boon for this industry. So what do I think about sleeping on a futon? Here's the bottom line. When you're 18, 19, 20 years old, your body can sleep on a whole host of surfaces. To be fair, I had a futon when I was in college and I loved it. I really didn't require the amount of back support that I kind of need now. I wasn't as interested in the materials um, or the construction of the mattress at the time, or rather the futon at the time. But is it a good option? Absolutely. It's a good cost cutting option for folks out there, especially for college kids, because those things can convert from a couch to a bed pretty easily. I've also seen some breakthrough news relating to insomnia drugs. Now, you guys know I'm not a huge fan of pharmaceuticals, but at the end of the day, there are definitely a need for sleep pharmaceuticals for many people out there. And the United States has now become the first country where the insomnia drug Devago uh, is actually available. This is the first FDA-approved insomnia drug with safety data over a 12-month period. The recommended dosage is, I think, around five milligrams before bed and then at least seven hours planned before waking uh, to be able to take the medication. So, you know, what do I think about another insomnia drug? You know, it's interesting because people always ask me all the time. They're like, Michael, do we really need any more insomnia drugs? Yes, we do. Um, why do I think that? Here's what's interesting is when you look at insomnia drugs in general, it's much more of what we call a shotgun approach. It actually, the drugs will cover most areas of the brain and just make you feel relaxed and sedated. What would be great is if they came up with specialty drugs that could attack the sleep centers and not make your entire body feel terrible the next day. So I'm all for new drugs that are more specific and can help us narrow down and personalize insomnia when they're needed. But the point we really have to bring forward here is that drugs for sleep unfortunately give you pharmaceutical sleep. Again, don't get me wrong. If you need a medication uh, for sleep, that's a conversation between you and your doctor, and I highly respect that. But there are a lot of other options out there. And to be fair, I think many of them can be really good. So if you need something like this, absolutely ask your doctor. Or if you're not interested in medication like that, there are many other ways to fall asleep. And finally, an interesting study out of Italy shows us that a lack of sleep for five consecutive days predisposes people to see pleasant and neutral images as more negative than normal. 
This seems like one of those no duh type of studies, right? I mean, honestly, if I had five consecutive days of uh, non not sleeping too well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be what my daughter calls a grumpy fish. So at the end of the day, here's what we now know is the study reveals how our mood is altered under less than normal sleeping conditions. And let's be fair, we have those happen a lot. Now it's time for today's sleep story. So I have a really interesting opportunity today. Most people don't know this, but our next guest has had a profound influence on my life. I'm very excited to talk today with Dr. Mehmet Oz. So many of you don't know this, but Dr. Oz has privately been mentoring me for literally 20 years. He has been unbelievably kind with his time, with his energy, with his thoughts, and of course, with his interest in sleep. So I couldn't be more excited today to talk to my very dear friend, Emmy award-winning television host, multiple New York Times best-selling author, and one of the smartest people I've ever met, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Mehmet, thanks for coming to the show. It's a great blessing to be here with you, and I appreciate all you've taught me in the nation about sleep. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So first of all, how are you doing? I mean, it's kind of crazy right now. What's, what's going on in your world with the show, with COVID? Tell us what's going on with you. Well, I'm here at home. It looks like you're on my studio set uh, <laughs> because we actually built a studio here to em emulate the set. Uh, as we come out of the COVID uh, quarantine period, uh, we've evolved a bit, and I've got uh, more and more opportunities to go back into our studio. Uh, New York's starting to open up. Uh, my family, who are all stuck here next to me and tolerating me for so many months, have slowly begun to disperse around the country. Other kids going back to their lives. So um, it's a it's a it's a relatively good time for our family. I feel badly for the nation that where there's been so much suffering. Uh, so many folks have lost their sleep for good reason because they're worried about uh, their next paycheck, uh, their next meal. Where we spend a lot of time, by the way, raising money for uh, for food because so many Americans are food insecure right now. But at, at, at its highest level, uh, there's also an opportunity for us to evolve and grow as a people. And I'm, been, I'm reading a lot these days because I can't go anywhere. So it does open up some time to be by yourself and to educate yourself. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I feel like the same thing, you know, that this has been almost a pause button for me and then given me the opportunity to look inward and be able to feel purposeful. You know, I, I, one of the things that you taught me very early on is, you know, never be ashamed of your education. And never be ashamed of, you know, correct information. Talk about it, educate people, get people informed. And, and I feel like that's something that we've both had this wonderful opportunity to do kind of during uh, COVID, which has just been difficult. Uh, you know, the fear of the unknown is certainly what's the most stressful for so many people out there. Obviously, that stress can impact sleep, things like that. What kind of thoughts or tips or ideas have you been able to discover for you, for your family, for your friends during sort of the quarantine? Has anything hit home for you that you might have changed or doubled down on? Well, I pushed myself to look a bit more into the collective unconscious, which is not some esoteric concept, but I've always struggled with uh, faith and religion and uh, what, what is it that makes all of us crave some deeper connection uh, it also, I think, is the remedy for a lot of the pain that is felt by so many Americans when they feel disconnected from each other. So I've been reading a lot of Young, um, but along with that, uh, lots of other books, uh, a book called Cast, by the way, which is a great read that Oprah recommended to me. I gave it to my entire staff this year. Um, it's a very different way of talking about race in America, a uh, very well-researched book. But to the point you made earlier, uh, you know, the, the, having the facts right uh, and a vocabulary that allows you to speak to it. Uh, is a huge value. And that's what you and I both be, tried to do is to 
not just open people's eyes to the science of what's going down, but also to give them a, a reference so they can actually deal with the challenges that are you know, deep inside of us. What are the archetypal challenge, uh, uh, issues and struggles that are happening subconsciously? Many of them during our sleep, by the way, as we dream, they, be, they can become evident. And how do we help that uh, come to the surface so it helps us deal with um, all the other challenges that we're having difficulty processing while we're awake? Well, so first of all, I can tell you've been reading some Jung <laughs> because that's absolutely talking about the unconscious and talking about dream work. I also, for all of those out there listening, we in a couple of weeks, we've actually got a dream researcher coming on who's a Jungian scholar. So right up your alley, Mehmet. I'm, I'm going to send you that podcast. I think you're going to enjoy it quite quite a bit. You know, one of the things that is so cool about this show is I get to talk to a pretty wide variety of people about their professional and personal journey. I, of course, know a lot about your professional and your personal journey, but a, a bunch of the listeners may not. I want to talk a little bit about your path and maybe the role that sleep has played in allowing you to be your best. Maybe we go back to med school um, and your start as a doctor. I mean, let's be honest, dude, sleep is pretty hard to get a hold of when you're a surgeon, right? Well, you're taught that it's a sign of weakness. Oh. Uh, you're able to function for days on end with inadequate sleep and you power through with whether it's caffeine or stretching or you find your tactics. Uh, but like military training, uh, the belief is if you can do it when you're exhausted, then you can do it when you're not exhausted even better. Not always the case, by the way. Uh, but uh, I remember falling asleep on the gurney that we would take the patient to the OR with. And while the staff was getting the patient ready for the open heart operation I was about to do, I'd go lie in the gurney outside at two in the morning and sleep for an hour and a half. And those tactics uh, got me through my residency in my early years as an attending at New York Presbyterian. These days, that's not allowed anymore. A bunch of smart rules were made that prevents that kind of behavior. But um, it, it, it taught me to respect sleep and how important it was. I was so much more creative when I slept. I was certainly easier to be around. Um, and I understand why there's some training that might require you to be sleep deprived. Because there are times when you may have to function without adequate sleep. When you're trying to save someone's life or your own if you're in the military, for example. But net-net, if we can work on our sleep, it is the uh, most underappreciated opportunity to be healthy. I mean, my goodness, when you, when you sleep, you're not as hungry. Uh, when you sleep, you don't create carbs. Uh, when you sleep, you, you don't get hangry as often. So you, you know, you, you're not medicating yourself for food. And that's just with food. I mean, I, that, you perform better in the athletic field. You can exercise more likely. You, um, you, and you definitely enjoy life more. There's no question about that. I'm glad you brought up athletics. You know, many people don't know that you were a pretty serious athlete in college, right? I mean, you played football and water polo at Harvard. Am I correct in saying that? Is that right? That's right. And I got the captain's award for leadership because I valued not the sports uh, all the time, but actually the emotional growth that happens. And mm. I, I tell you, that's one of the things I was working on this summer is, uh, is why is it that sports play such a huge role in the maturation of our minds. And I was recommended a book written by a, a, a tennis coach at Harvard, Tim Galloway, but you know, written, he wrote it in the early seventies and this guy became a psychologist. Oh, fascinating. And he was talking about, you know, I don't know if you're, you know, you, you're an athlete as well, but for a lot of folks out, out there listening, this, you don't have to be an athlete to get this. There's a mind, a, a version of us, let's call it self number one. That's what Tim calls it. That is your ego, right? And it's judging you all the time and is telling you things. Sometimes they're true. Usually they're not. It gets pretty noisy in your head, and it gets in the way of your body performing. And that's true if you're playing a musical instrument, uh, talking to a, a date at dinner, uh, trying to connect with your kids, or trying to hit a tennis ball. And the book is actually called The Inner Game of Tennis. It's oh, I've heard about, of this book. Yes, this is a super famous book. 
It was, it's a super famous, but sort of forgotten. And right. a, a brother-in-law gave it to me. And you think, okay, well, I mean, do I really run and read about tennis? It's the book is not about tennis. It barely talks about it. This book is about how to perform using tennis as a metaphor. And I'll give you one good example. Uh, the most important thing in tennis, like most things in life, is to watch and listen to the ball. And sometimes that ball, like the golf ball, is not even moving and you have trouble hitting it, right? But the reason it's important is because it allows you to focus on one thing, not 15 things, no matter what your mind is whispering to you about how bad you are, incompetent, you didn't bend your knees, you bent your knees too much. It doesn't matter, right? You got to watch and listen to the ball whizzing at you. And this is important. While you do that, it empties your mind. So that's why sports is sort of interesting. Now, again, you could, you could be singing a soprano in an opera. It doesn't matter. If you're completely focused on the task at hand, you empty your mind, you reach that Zen moment um, that allows you to go where your body naturally wants to take you. And there's a couple of little interesting elements to this, just for the, the, the tempter, the listener. The most important word he argues, I thought it was love, and it might be, but he argues the most important word is let, because you've got to be more accepting. Allow things to happen. Don't get in the way of it. And, uh, and I think if you get these lessons in any capacity from a mentor along the path of life, you're better off for it. So, so this is fascinating. So when you look at sports and you look at sports participation, of course, in order to perform well as an athlete, sleep becomes one of the most critical, arguably the secret weapon of all secret weapons, right, um, for there. Now, I know that you're also a sports fan. Um, what do you think about all of these colleges considering not playing sports this year? What kind of effect do you think it's going to have on the students mentally, um, not being part of that team camaraderie, things like that? Do you think it's going to have an effect on their sleep and their training? What do you think? Well, this is not a, a theoretical question. My son plays sports at Harvard also. He's also on the water polo team. There we go. And uh, they had a great team last year. They were undefeated. They won their conference. They were looking forward to his senior year, which is this year. And it's all canceled. Every Ivy League sport is canceled. Um, I think around the country, we're seeing the same moves being made now by institutions, large and small. And it's a devastating effect because the rest of your life, you'll never know what your senior year, in his case, of sports was like. And so, yes, it messes with your sleep, with your, uh, your karma, so to speak. You know, you've got this... Yeah, you've got this game plan and it didn't work out that way. On the other hand, you know, in past generations, wars started. Uh, other issues have come up that prevented people from playing injuries. So uh, he'll deal with <coughs> as his class will. But the, lo the loss of sports overall has had an impact on our psyche. It's one of the ways we decompress. And I think for a lot of minds, not just male minds, female minds as well, uh, there's a value of having sports as metaphor uh, where you can sort of look at the battles of life, the archetypal stories that we all try to identify with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about transitions, you know, transitioning to college, transitioning from sports. You've made a lot of different transitions in your in your universe, like transitioning from being a doctor to really being an educator, being more in the media. Of course, you're still a practicing uh, surgeon, but uh, what did you think about that transition? How did that affect your schedule? And I mean, I know, you know, you, you film at least two shows a day. So how did that start affecting your sleep? Because I remember those test shows, man. I was there with you. You were. Uh, I sleep better now than I ever have. Uh, I worked at it. It didn't have happened happen by accident. I used a lot of your tips, built sleep hygiene uh, tools for myself, focused on everything from the light to the bedding to uh, you know the ritual that I went through. Uh, even the lights in the room became important. And all that's part of the reason I sleep so deeply. Now, I had a good role model. My wife is a you know, uber sleeper. She uh, is. That woman can, you know, she can, you know, nine hours, you know, nothing bothers her. And she <laughs> wakes up rested. All of the kids sleep well. Clean conscience. Um, so I, I, 
I, and I was, I was a good sleeper as a you know, young person, but I wasn't allowed to sleep because of the training and the like. The show transition actually helped my sleep because I could sense when I was tired. Uh, it's not just visible on your face when you're you know, high-definition high HD cameras right. picking on you, but um, <laughs> you actually you have to be able to listen as a talk show host. I mean, it's critical to our success, and it's hard to listen really to hear somebody if you're tired. You're trying to just get past the, their answer to your next question, or frankly, you're so exhausted, you'd rather be in bed than listen to what they're about to say. And that's not a good way to interview people. It also help, you know, hurts your ability to hear what your creative staff is trying to teach you. Because we all have blind spots, and we, we need our team members to be able to identify those and help us with them. I couldn't agree with you more. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like there was a time in your life where, whether you liked it or not, sleep was... Mm, maybe it may be available, maybe not. Then when you've transitioned now, it seems like it's become a greater importance to you as well. I know we've seen some really interesting stuff on the show before. Um, do you have any thoughts or ideas about some of the weird stuff that we've seen on the show historically that was pretty surprising to you from a sleep perspective? Well, I always expect the sleeping pills to be more impactful than they have proven to be and uh, for long term. And I mean, I think they work well short term as they're designed to be used. Uh, doctors prescribe them appropriately usually, but uh, some consumers think, hey, you know what? I just can't sleep. I need a sleeping pill every day. And it's a bad habit to fall into. It doesn't work as well as a lot of other tactics. It's also basically painting over the cracks in the foundation of your well-being if you can't sleep. If you're not able to, to get the restful sleep you need, there's something causing it. It could be a medical problem, sleep apnea, restless leg. It could be a psychological issue. The anxiety we spoke about earlier in that tennis book could be influencing you. But something's going down that you got to deal with. And medicating is probably not the way to go. And as a physician early on, I didn't appreciate that because most of the time I was dealing with the anxiety of the upcoming heart surgery, not the fact that you're dealing with the anxiety of life. And complexity management, which is what usually causes that anxiety, is not something you want to treat with a pill. Complexity management is best dealt with by developing strategies to manage the complexity. Right. Now, you've always been ahead of the curve in terms of looking at new medicine, the future of medicine. One of the things that you and I, every time I'm on the show, we're sitting in your office having lunch and we're talking about what's new in sleep, what, what's the next new thing. I know you've done some pretty interesting things. You've been involved with light. You've been involved with sleep tracking uh, as well. And I know you've also got some interesting ideas surrounding wearable technologies. I, I believe you work with a company called Sleep Score. You and I worked there together for quite some period of time. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about your interest in sleep tech, kind of some of the things that you've learned and why it's become so important. Important. Well, in heart surgery, when I'm, when I'm operating, there are numbers and sounds that define every aspect of the process. So the beeping sound is actually the oxygen saturation of the patient. So if it's beep, 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 that means the heart rate's at going at that pace, and that's a high-pitched sound, which means there's plenty of oxygenation. If it's going boop, 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 that's a really slow heart rate without a lot of oxygen. And everything in between is a clue to me. So it's just auditory. And that doesn't even include the eye visual cues where I've got a dozen numbers that tell me exactly how you are doing. The pressures in your left heart, the pressures in your right heart, the filling pressures of the heart, every nuanced element of the EKG, that pattern means something to me. The pattern of the artery pressures in the lungs, all these things are, you know, which we're trained for a decade to understand how to interpret those things. You go to sleep and the question is, do you sleep well? And it's a binary re response that made by someone who doesn't know what good sleep is sometimes because they haven't had a good night's sleep in so many years. And there's not a lot of clues that would help a, 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 a layman basically like me interpret your sleep. 
So you have, because you're an expert in this area, dozens of questions that you can ask to tease out the subtle reasons why you're sleeping or not sleeping. Do you have trouble falling asleep? Do you, have, you wake up too early? Da, da, da. But I, I have been impressed by the ability of these newer technologies. Sleep score is an example of a pretty cool one that can look at your, your sleep throughout the night. And because it's a phone app, it's easy to you know, download on your phone. It's free. You turn it on and it watches you sleep, basically like a sonar system, right? like a dolphin looking at you sleeping and identifying uh, whether you're moving a lot, do you have sleep apnea, and what's the depth of your sleep, uh, the cadence of it, all the clues that then experts can look at and say, you're this exact kind of sleep problem right. that might benefit from treatments ABC versus treatments uh, FGH. Right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when we actually use assessment tools to help us assess things like sleep that we can personalize sleep a lot more. You know, one of the things I, I agree with you, historically, we always thought about it being binary. It was either good sleep or bad sleep. But there really wasn't a whole lot in between. Um, now we're learning that there are many flavors of insomnia, as an example, right? There's the I can't fall asleep. I can't stay asleep. I wake up too early. Insomnia due to anxiety, due to depression, due to pain. It's, it's really becoming uh, better out there. And I also agree with you. It is pretty interesting to me that the sleeping pills don't work better. Right. Most people don't know this, but if you start to look up the mechanism of action and you look at the effectiveness of, for example, some of the Z drugs, um, many of them are only effective by giving you maybe 18 to 22 minutes more sleep, you know, on average. And then, by the way, after 30 to 45 days, they become less and less effective. I remember we did a show on that one and uh, we broke the bank. I mean, we, the ratings went through the roof as, as well as melatonin. That was another big uh, thing that we talked about quite a bit on the show. Do you have any supplements or any things that you like to utilize for yourself or for your family sleep that, that you found to be helpful over the years? Well, melatonin does help, especially for time shift problems. For jet lag, for and sure. That's not just jet lag, but also if, if you're on a weekend, you sleep later and you got to get up early during the week, it can help because you basically you know, flew to a different time zone to sleep two hours later on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but I actually like teas a lot. Oh, um, tell me. And cinnamon cardamom is the tea I normally have at night. I try to eat my dinner and finish everything by 8, 8.30. Okay. So for a couple hours before bedtime, I don't have anything in, you know, that I eat, but I will have a tea. Uh, if I feel a desire to have something at, you know, I don't know, 9.30. Mm -hmm. And that, you, again, cinnamon cardamom has, it's that herbal tea that has no right. uh, caffeine. Uh, caffeine, but you can pick any, your chamomile, you know, anything that you feel works for you. The smells work. Um, I don't add a lot of calories to it. It's just a pretty simple little, bro, you know, uh, a tea that most people can get into their ritual. And that sort of signifies to me that it's getting late enough that I'm probably going to be thinking about sleeping. And, you know, psychologically, if, especially if I saw a bright light early in the morning, about 16 hours later, which is roughly 10 o'clock, I'll start to feel tired. I can force myself to stay up later, but wouldn't it be great just to turn off the lights at 1030 and go to sleep? Yeah, exactly. So your ritual is you, you definitely have tea. What about anything that you do right before bed? So like as an example for me, one of the big things that I do is in my head, I do a gratitude list. Just in my head, I just think about three or four things that I'm super grateful for. Um, and what it does is it puts me in a good mood and it allows me to kind of drift off into sleep. That's one of my ritualistic practices. It sounds like tea is one of yours. Do you have any others? And, and would you be willing to share if Lisa does? Uh, I don't think Lisa does. She's, she, 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 She's she just, just a solid sleeper. Enjoys life. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I'm often working late, so I've got to at least give myself five, 10 minutes not to be working. If I have some late email or show script that I've been editing. So I try to just look at some pleasure reading. You know, it could be a couple pages of a book. 
Um, not, not, not something that's work-related. So my mind's not on it. The other thing is I try not to answer uh, work emails late in the evening because no one's emailing you with good news at 1030 at night. <laughs> that is true. And then my mind starts to worry about what just ha happened and that messes with me. So unless it's something vital, I, j I try and you know, finish any new tasks that I'm going to have to deal with by well, nine or so. And then things I'm working on are things that were longer term strategic issues. Like I got to get through this book that's going to be on the show in a week and I want to understand it better. Let me read that last chapter again. Right, right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's, that's pretty smart. Now talking about your bed and your bedroom, I know that you are actually doing something new now. Do you want to tell us all about sort of your new venture and, and what's been happening for you? So I've never had a product that I launched, but I have been debating uh, doing it in the sleep space, in part because I thought there was an opportunity to democratize sleep. So I collaborated with the number one seller of beds on Amazon, um, a great guy named Sam Maloof and his whole team have been wonderful partners. And uh, we've launched the Dr. Oz Good Life uh, uh, Sleep Solutions. So these are, uh, and I'll focus on the ones, the three things that are most important, an adjustable frame, uh, and the, the frame of the bed is important because if the base of the bed, the adjustable base can elevate your head, it can help deal with snoring and yep. other uh, related issues with breathing. Reflux. In fact, we actually did a clinical trial that uh, we commissioned Steve Score to do. Uh, I wasn't involved with the data gathering, but I know that it's high quality. And uh, the team that did the research has actually had a, a paper accepted at one of the biggest sleep meetings that, again, presents the fact that uh, this, this tool allows with head elevation for people to to snore less, sleep better, and actually allows your partners to sleep better, which sort of makes sense because if your partner's not snoring, you'll sleep better. Um, we also, um, uh, in addition to adjustable frames that are priced purposely so people can afford them, um, we also have uh, silver in all the products. So silver, as you know, is an antimicrobial, the first antibiotic, uh, with a lot of data about why it works for microbes, bacteria, viruses alike. Um, and I, I, now we have technology to put it into the bedding effortlessly uh, it can be part of the solution. And I'll tell you the real, the real idea that my wife uh, wanted, and we've been able to satisfy her, her curiosity, is I love down pillows, but people have problems with the ethics of down pillows because sometimes you sacrifice animals to collect the, the down from the geese. And also you have issues with allergies related to uh, the, the, uh, the down as well. So we, we made an engineered down, um, which is synthetic material, but feels like real down. And the technology here is really cool. And again, much more affordable uh, and long-lasting and hypoallergenic. So uh, those are the three main pillars of, of ideas I want to mention. But the bigger concept is, uh, of all the things that we look at that help us sleep, bedding is one of the most important. And if you can't afford good bedding, then sometimes you can't get sleep that you deserve. These technologies now have matured to the degree that you actually can, uh, can maximize your opportunity to, to sleep just by making your body more comfortable. Whether it's restless leg or back pain or the story I discussed earlier, uh, kick the tires on sleep, on sleep solutions. The Dr. Oz Good Life s uh, solution is a, is a powerful one, uh, but it should also awaken you to the possibility that you can't overlook your bed. Yeah, I think it's so. First of all, you know me, I believe that sleep is a performance activity. Right. And so I'm a runner. And if I've got the right equipment, I run faster. I do better. And so I believe that sleep is exactly the same way. I am excited to hear to learn more and see more. And I love the idea that you're getting out there and teaching people more about how even something as straightforward as bedding can have a dramatic effect on your sleep. 
You know, Mehmet, I've got to say, I, this has been an awesome interview. I certainly appreciate you coming on board. You know, you really have been an incredible mentor to me for my entire career. I definitely owe you so many, so much gratitude. I can't, I can't even express it all, to be fair. Um, but you have really been wonderful with your time today. And our listeners are super excited um, to be hearing from you. So thanks again. If people want to hear more about the uh, Dr. Oz Good Life Solutions, as well as other things, where can they find out more information about you? DrOzSleep.com is the website uh, where you find out all about the bedding. Uh, or go to DrOz.com because we'll be doing shows on it and trying to make it accessible as possible to everybody. So I hope you enjoyed Spread the Word. Thanks again for what you're doing and congratulations on your success with the podcast. Thanks, Mehmet. I appreciate you. This has been Dr. Michael Bruce with my dear, dear friend, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Thanks again, Mehmet. God bless. Take care. You know, every time I hang out with that guy, I learn something new. I'm always enjoy my time spent with Dr. Oz because he really definitely thinks forward. In this episode, what he taught me for sure was always remember your surroundings, always look around you, what's going on around you and how can that affect such a fundamental aspect of your health like sleep. I love the fact that he is so dialed into self-awareness. I love the fact that he was thinking about dreams and dream work. Remember, we're going to be talking to a dream research expert coming up soon. He's also very thoughtful in terms of supplementation and his interest in why don't sleeping pills actually work better than people think they do. So I think that one of the things that Dr. Oz has taught me historically about sleep is number one, he gets it. It's important. Otherwise, why would I have been on the show 39 times? <laughs> number two, I think his own sleep is something that's important to him as well. I think we've had a wonderful conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Mehmet Oz. And now let's get to the mailbag. So the mailbag is the part of the show where everybody emails in awesome questions, and uh, hopefully I can answer them on the fly and we can get people some more information about the great sleep that they're looking for. So our first question comes from Charlotte from the Bay Area, and she asks, Dr. Bruce, what is the best temperature for sleep? You know, this is a question that I actually get asked quite a bit. Now, remember, sleeping in the cool is always better than sleeping in the warm. And yes, we are in the middle of the summer months here. So anything that you can do to keep your temperature cooler is going to be better. Hold on a second. W what if I make my room like a meat locker? Is that a good idea? Well, maybe, maybe not. There's actually was a study done approximately two years ago that re-examined looking at temperature for sleep. It turns out that it's not just the temperature, but it's also the relative humidity that turns out to be an incredibly important aspect for your overall sleep. So you should be putting your sleep temperature somewhere between 65 and 75 degrees if you can in the evenings. Or better yet, if you happen to live at sea level, open up your windows and get some fresh air. It turns out that this study showed that people who are living at or close to sea level, if they opened up their windows and got some fresh air, that actually helped their sleep tremendously in the evenings. So what I would tell you to do is the best temperature for sleep is somewhere between 65 and 75 degrees. If you want, keep your feet out from under the covers. That can also help with sleep. But if you're a person who really likes to be cozy, you might want to throw on some socks. Our next question comes from Cooper from Macon, Georgia, and he asks, what is melatonin and should I take it? Great question, Cooper. So it turns out that melatonin is a hormone, but it's not just any old hormone. It's called the vampire hormone, meaning it only comes out in darkness. Remember, melatonin is the key that starts the engine 
for sleep. So this is something that's naturally produced in our brains that should be able to help us sleep. Now, Cooper's question is, well, do I need to take it? To be fair, Cooper, in most cases, many people have plenty of melatonin on board. If people are concerned that they may not have enough melatonin, you can actually do um, testing for that. There are uh, urine and saliva tests that can determine if you've got the right levels of melatonin. But to be fair, most people have plenty of melatonin on board. So do you really need to take it? Well, there are some certain situations where it would make sense. For example, jet lag or shift work, things of that nature where you actually want to change your circadian rhythm. Remember, melatonin is not a sleeping pill. Melatonin changes the internal schedule inside your body and changes your bedtime. Those are very different things. So if you don't have a problem with that, you probably don't need melatonin. Barry from Seattle asks, I wake up occasionally sweating and trying to catch my breath. Could this be sleep apnea? Barry, these are the two defining characteristics of sleep apnea, uh, other than snoring, of course. So what are people worried about? If you're snoring, if you wake up gasping for air, if you're choking, if you're sweating, if you wake up with a headache in the morning, uh, if you find you've been gaining weight, you're waking up grumpy, these are all signs and symptoms of something called obstructive sleep apnea syndrome. Um, and to be fair, if somebody hears you stopping breathing in your sleep once, it's probably happening quite a bit. Or if you wake up... <gasps> gasping and trying to catch your breath, it's probably happening more often than you think. If you're suffering from any of those, Barry, I would tell you, you definitely want to talk with your doctor and ask them about getting a sleep study to learn more about whether or not you have sleep apnea. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>